Hello and welcome to It's a Musical Podcast, the podcast show where my fiance introduces me to musicals that I should have seen by now. And a very, very special episode as we are introducing the narrator from Blood Brothers onto the show. Welcome to Robbie Scotcher. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on the show and giving up your time. No worries at all, no worries at all. I know it's a show night for you, but Blood Brothers, I jumped at the opportunity to go and see this one because it's such an important play. And I'm absolutely delighted. I think I've actually seen you in Blood Brothers twice before. So it's really awesome to get okay. the chance to talk to you. Oh, well, lovely to talk to you too. So you play the narrator in Blood Brothers. This is a show by Willie Russell that has been going since the 1980s. How did you go about approaching the role when you were first casting it? Okay, so it's, the, the, the thing about the narrator is, I mean, first of all, when you, you, know, when you get the audition, I'll tell you the, the story for the audition, actually, Excellent. when I got the audition. So I just finished work and I was on tour and um, I write, um, I'd finished doing Footloose and I didn't have a job over Christmas. And uh, so I worked at the O2 in London nice. and I worked a stage crew. Uh, um, the Monkey Journey to the West show and it was the get out and we were on the Thames in January freezing cold and <laughs> I had a drill in my hand and I was drilling up flooring because it was in a tent outside and uh, my agent sent me a, a message saying you've got an, you've got an audition this afternoon can you make it uh, I said I can't get home in time the time was sort of like three hours away I said I can't get home in time to pick up my stuff they said don't worry we've got music here it's for Blood Brothers I said okay Right. And they said, so you've got you've got to do the speech, the opening speech. Yeah. And obviously you've got to do a Scouse accent. And I thought, right, OK. So I didn't I, I thought, what can I do? Scouse accent. So I went into the cabin, the works cabin, and I Googled Thomas the Tank Engine <laughs> and Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> All the Scousers love this on. Yeah. And, you know, Thomas the Tank Engine rolled into town. It's Ringo's style and he speak. So he has this very definite Scouse accent. So. I, I learned the Scouse accent from that and I turned up in my work gear and I went in and saw Bill Kemright, the producer, and I think that's what got me the job, to be honest. So um, I went in and had to do that speech. So I was taking over from a guy that had been doing the show 14 years, Keith Burns, who is yeah. absolutely exceptionally good. So there's kind of a bit of pressure. So first of all, you look at that and you think, right, okay, I'm taking over from Keith. And second of all, you're like, how am I going to approach this role? So... I did the same thing that most actors do. I, I read through the script and I think, right, what do we know about it? Nothing. Exactly. That's Absolutely nothing. You know two things about him. He's got a Scouse accent and he's wearing that suit. Yeah. That's it. So over the years, and I've, I first played the role, uh, I, I did it 10 years ago and I did it for two years and I left and I come back again to it recently. And over the time, I mean, essentially what you do is you, you get the script, you, you know, you just deliver the speeches to the audience. You set up the scene yeah. and you try and jog the audience along with the play. And, you know, you kind of point things out to them. You suggest things. Look here. What about that? And the way I've played it has kind of changed over years because as you get older, you, you know, you get more comfortable in yourself. But you kind of you've got to bring a bit of you to the role, who you are. But you've also got to get out of the way because it's about the, it's about the words. You can't you can't kind of go in and start. And it's also been going a long time. So, 
you, you can't reinvent it. You know, it no. works. So you should do it the way it works. So, yeah, I, I mean, people think he's the devil. I mean, it's, yeah. it's great. When, when we get sort of kids come along, they always ask, are you the devil? Are you the undertaker? Are you Slender Man? Is a new one? <laughs> Whatever that is. Um, uh, and also, are, are you Mickey's dad? Oh, I've are not you, heard that one you, before. Yeah, Mickey's dad, Darren Wayne. Darren Wayne is the, the first baby. Yeah. So in the end, and I, it, t- it did take me a long time because at certain points I've kind of played with the idea that I might be one of these people. Yeah. Um, one thing I did do there, because you don't really interact with the cast bar a couple of little moments. So uh, there's one part where I take a photo of the three of them. Yeah. And at one point I've played it like I'm taking, I, the guy taking the photo is telling the story. Yes. He's found out that the tragedy, he's read it in a paper. But in the end, when you come down to it, Willie Russell's exceptionally clever. Yeah. And the reason you don't know anything about the guy is because it's about the story that he's telling, not about the guy telling it. Yes. So I've, I come round to, in the end, that my take is, it's old-fashioned theatre where you would, you would go into a town, you'd put a flag in the ground and you'd say... Four o'clock, there's going to be a show. Come and watch this show. And I am the introduction to that show. Oh, I love that. And that's, and that's, that's how I've taken it now. So I try and... I'm, I, it's a story that I feel like I have to tell I've, I'm, I, as a character. I have to tell this story. I'm telling this story to you. I love the story I'm telling. Some bits I find difficult to tell. Some bits I find funny. Some bits... And I, I let myself go along with it. But it's just a story I have to tell. And that's, in, in essence, how I decide to play the role. I think that's so incredible. I mean, Blood Brothers is one of those plays that just has this amazing social commentary that even though it debuted in the 1980s, here we are in 2021, and the themes of social class and the divide is still as appropriate today as it was in 1983. And like you say, this is a character who has this story that he has to tell it almost like is the narrator is willie russell himself this is a story that he has to share with the world whether it's real whether it's fictional is besides the point it's an important story for the world i've never heard the theory of mickey's dad before i think that's great i've heard the devil you know that the devil is tempting mrs johnstone you know you sold your child and you know there's the money there's a moment where the the narrator puts the money in her pocket that she's tried to discard and i've always liked the idea that there's the 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 devil who at key moments just does something to push them but the other theory i've had people explore before you know students i've worked with say what if he's the police officer in charge of this case you know that he's sharing it like maybe that it, it like you say the mystery of the narrator nobody knows who he is he's just there and he knows everything and it's such an interesting character to to get to discuss yeah i mean it, also the original version was different than now he mostly the original version he played every role yeah so he played every role except the twins and the mums but he was the policeman, the teacher, the bus conductor. There's one line which still crosses over, yes. which is no one can embark without the price being paid. Yes. So that, that line was actually, he, the narrator says that, but that's actually the bus conductor. That's the one, the, the only line that crosses over. But yeah, he, he, he would have hats and he would just put on a different hat. He'd come on as the milkman. 
but still, even within that, it's it's still he's telling this story. Yeah. So it's I, th- I think it's fun to explore those things, and I think um, it really helps you get into the character because you're looking at it from a different perspective. But essentially, yeah, I mean, it's it's with all great stories as actors, the best thing to do is get out of the way a bit. Yeah. And let the story do the work. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's the thing with Blood Brothers, you know, here we are, 2021, the story is still being told. You know, it's the third longest show on the West End, like 10,013 performances. Why do you think it is that this show is still just as important today? The audiences still flock to it. I mean, it's, it's weird. I mean, the simple reason is it's really good. i mean it's it's a really really good story uh it's really well written and it has possibly arguably the best ending of any musical yeah but so with that that ending gets you back It, it, it also has a few you've got the few devices in it which are quite fun so initially thinking that adults playing kids that can be quite potentially you know it, it it can not always look the best yeah but the way it's approached and the way they do it and the way that it's done through truth without anything being cod and with the writing that is a brilliant thing too because the other thing about blood brothers is people forget that it's hilariously funny oh people just rem- they remember the tragedy but, but because that's what you leave you leave crying but you've been laughing for two hours yeah so that's that that's another great part of it but also like you say the themes to it if you look at today i mean you've got um, you start off with fertility. Fertility is a huge issue at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, people struggling to have children. Uh, people, you know, and, and you see, you've got that side of it. You've got the side of mental health where you've got how in one case, someone's dependency on drugs has sent them into the state they're in and, and the problems they're having in life. You've also got how secrets and lies can affect your mental health yeah. and how that can take you forward. Then you've got the social structure of, you know, you've got, it's Margaret Thatcher's Britain on stage to a certain degree, but is this Boris Johnson's, you know, England on stage as well? I mean, they're, they're questions. They're questions to be asked, and it, and you can sit and you can. Some of this is in your life that you're watching in front of you, yeah. And and it's it's just done. It's done in a very good, clever way. And also, the other thing that you generally find with the show, if you meet anyone after the show that's come to watch it, and say there's three people standing there. One person will tell you it's their 18th time. One person will say it's their fifth time. And it will always be one person's first time. It's like a CD. It's like a film. It's a gift that people seem to be passing down. Blood Brothers, you've got to come and watch this. Oh, but I don't like musicals. You'll like this one. That's that's the conversation. Oh, absolutely. Like you say, I mean, one of my favourite scenes, like always, every time gets a laugh, is Mickey and Linda on the hill looking over the council estate and Mickey, you know, one of the things for me, you know, we get a lot in the media about self-image and you see Mickey as a teenage boy struggling with his self-image. You've got the, I I, I love you, Linda. I want to hug you. I want to kiss you. I want to fornicate with you, but I can't because I'm spotty and my bum sticks out. I love that. I think it's such a great moment of, the hurdles of being a teenager that as a grown-up you look back on it and you think yep that's exactly what it was like growing up there's something in this show for everyone and you know there's the tragedy there's the the absolute moments of bliss where you just lose yourself laughing 
by the end of it, you find yourself floods of tears just because of the beauty of this narrative. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it's all that. It's all those things. And you're right, it's got so much awkwardness. There's also, I mean, at the moment, I, I don't know how many kids play it on the street and have to play using their imagination. And, and, and this is what this show starts with, you know, how many kids have got a horse that they run around with? <laughs> yeah. their, their pretend horse, you know, M M Mickey, Linda, they go around on their pretend horses. They're playing out in the street. They're kicking cans. It's, it's, it's going, I mean, these kids would meet online now, maybe. It's, it would be a different story, but it, it has that warmth to it. It really does have that warmth. It does. And yeah, I, I, I think these are the reasons, these are the reasons that people keep coming back to see it. So what does it mean when you got cast in the narrator? How did it feel knowing that you would, you know, be a part of something so celebrated and revered as Blood Brothers is? Well, I mean, the, the first of all, you it's it's a very quick turnaround, by the way. I auditioned on the on the Friday and I had the job on Saturday morning. Oh, wow. It's it's a very quick turnaround. And then so then obviously exceptionally excited for the weekend. You put on the soundtrack, you listen to it, mm -hmm. and you, you get excited by that thought. Then you then it's daunting because you get your rehearsal schedule through. And I had three days, I think, three or four days to rehearse because I was the only new character coming in. So it's kind of all for me. And so you have that. And before you know it, you're waiting to walk on stage in front of an audience in Newcastle that's sold out waiting for the story. So it's, yeah, it's exciting and it's daunting. And, but it's, it's a very close knit family, Blood Brothers. Yeah. Not many people leave. Um, there's a lot of people that have been in the show a long time because they love it and they do a, 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 what's quite funny is and I think this is testament to the writing of the show there's about four or five guys who write that are in the show that have got their own plays on that have got one, one guy in particular I think he's got a Netflix thing is about to come out That's amazing. and so and as they've been surrounded by this great writing and it's given them this bug for it. They all put on shows in the gaps the, the show doesn't run over the school holidays or over Christmas so everyone goes and people do a panto. So it's people have this quite nice life that work in the show. People don't people don't leave. And so it is a love. It's a lovely family. When I came back, you know, I came back to welcome arms with lots of friends. who I couldn't wait to see. And, you know, the, our next week is the last venue on the tour. It is. Yes, and no, 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 no one knows yet if they're coming back for the next tour or not. The offers haven't gone out. And, uh, you know, everyone's sort of winding up to the fact that it's going to be quite a sad thing that you leave these leave these people in this great show but yeah the, i mean i mean nervous i suppose in the end is the thing that you are most in, when this comes around yeah well it is it's such a big role and it, you know the narrator does you know start the proceedings you obviously have this fantastic opening where we start at the end and you have this heartbreak you're thrust right into the middle of it and then you have the narrator come out with that speech, you know, did you hear the story of the Johnston twins? That must be quite intimidating to set the tone for this whole world. Yeah, it, it is, it is. But again, you know, you know that this story is gonna be great. Yeah. And so ev everyone has a slightly different process. For me, um, I, I have a little listen to, to um, so I, I stand down by the stage left pros and I can hear the audience and I listen to them come in. And I can listen to them be a bit excited and I go, okay, right. And it gets me in the right mood. I go and stand in my spot and then I stand there for the overture. And I, I you know, I listen to everyone quieten down. I see Liverpool come up. So the scene's beginning with, for me. So then when I walk on and I stop and I hold my pose and then the scene comes around, it's, it's all there. 
and I walk forward and I, and I get to look at the audience and you know that's it this is my, we're here now we're here to hear this story you've got this story let's go okay right so and off you go and it's and I'm in, I'm in a really privileged spot playing the narrator because the other bit that you get to do is I get to watch the audience watch the show. <laughs> so I, I get to watch how they follow it. And different, I spec, this show works really well on tour uh, because it's great to take it to towns. Yeah. I think it really does well going to a town. And, you know, people, people it, it goes down in different ways. If, if you go to Glasgow, it's like a rock concert, <laughs> you know. We're in Cheltenham right now, and it's a lot more quieter. Um, it's, I mean, they're laughing at everything, and they're with the show, but it's just a different type of audience, and they, they still go mental at the end. Yeah. They laugh at different jokes. So the show is never the same. It changes every single night, always changes. Yeah, and like you say, you know, we've got Lynn Paul currently as Mrs. Johnson. This is the farewell tour. You know, you say about the family and people just always wanting to be part mm. of this show. But that's phenomenal and it must make it such a lovely atmosphere you know these people and there's that camaraderie on stage that you share this experience that no one else can feel like part of this secret fraternity yeah i mean we know each other's lives do you know what i mean yeah. it's like <laughs> i mean and just some things like the guy who plays sammy i know his little boy and he's his little boy's 10 years old now and you know i i knew him before i knew danny before sonny was born yeah. And so I've watched Sonny grow up. So Sonny gets excited when he comes to the show. He knows he's seeing everyone. I, you know, and he's, it's everyone's partners. Everyone's, you know, oh, someone's got a dog now. I've, you know, I got a dog. Everyone's excited about seeing my dog. And it's, <laughs> it really is. I mean, you do get it with other shows, but people don't leave as much. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you're in the West End as well, it's, you go into work and you come home from work. You don't always hang out together. This is, yeah, it's, it, and everyone says it about every show that this one's special but this one really is special oh it absolutely is and i think there's a part of the reason why it's so special you know and a real testament to its legacy is that blood brothers you know is considered important enough for gcse drama students to study it and you must get at every show mountains of tickets sold to students who are seeing it for the first time in preparation for their exams and you know the importance there for them is, you know, this is their future. They, they, they're dedicated to drama. But how does it feel for you knowing that you play the significant role for them in shaping the way they view this character? Like you've almost become their definitive reference point for the, the narrator. Yeah, it's, it's, I suppose, because the first reference point is obviously, you know, how, how the show's taught, yeah. how, how it's taught to the kids. Then, um, and you know, the t teachers have very different views and ideas of, of, of who each, who everyone is, and they've taught it a lot, so they have their hooks into it. We know as a show that if we've got a Wednesday or Thursday matinee, and we quite often have schools matinees, which just schools, so you'll get sixteen hundred school kids in front of yeah. you. We we know that this might be the first time they've been to theatre. Yeah, uh, it, it, it might it might be the only time they ever go to a theatre. You know, if some people's parents, it's not their back. So not only do we have a responsibility, I, I, I think, to tell this story and to tell it well, we know that they're writing about us. We know that they, we have to be very precise and succinct in the way we tell it because it inform, it, it could be the difference between an A and a B grade. Yeah. You know, if, if we tell it well and, and the kids are engaged, then they're going to write a better essay. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, I, I, I love it when it's quite raucous. 
Yeah. I, I always think it's the same. Some, sometimes a school will come along and the kids have got a bit of paper in front of them. I just <laughs> think, oh no, lose that. You don't want that. I, I, I want them ooing and ahhing and wolf whistling. And, you know, there's always, there's a bit, the bit at the end of the show when she says, he's your brother. And when you hear a load of school kids go, oh, yeah. you think, got you. You knew it. You were listening. Yeah. Well, you've got the bit where you have the gunshots and everyone screams a little bit. I've been in, you know, theatres with kids that I teach and they scream at the gunshot. And it, it does just make this atmosphere like they are just as shocked as everyone on stage would be. Like it, it just feels so much more immersive. Yeah. And I, I've, I, I really enjoy that. And, and yeah, it's, I've, you know, I've, I've always wanted to do it. and I've never actually asked what the questions are. <laughs> on the paper because I don't really want, want it to in, inform what I would necessarily yeah. do but I'm always quite intrigued and sometimes we get sent things like uh, they, they'll do a think board where you know different things are written on it and if I ever see that I always have a little read and see what kids think of it but the best the best compliments for me that we get are when the kids walk out and they turn around and this happens occasionally they'll turn around to the sound guy and say oh I love that oh I love the narrator he was my favourite or you know it's, it's like a street Oscar. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, th those are the moments. Or sometimes you walk out of the stage door and all the kids will be waiting to get on a bus and they turn around and they all cheer and they clap and you just think, you know, that's brilliant, isn't it? That they got involved. Absolutely. I mean, you know, day job for me is as a teacher and the amount of times I've taken students to see Blood Brothers and they go in, oh, it's, it's work and they just leave mesmerised. I had one boy who, from that point onwards, he goes, I always want to play the narrator. That's the character I want to play. Every lesson, I will be the narrator. I had one girl who just, just the, 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 even if you started to say, tell me it's not true, she'd start crying because she just remembered that atmosphere. And it's that power of theatre. I say to students like, yeah, it's great to laugh and it's great to be entertained, but how nice is it to be moved by art that it makes you want to cry? You know that what you're watching isn't real, but yet it moves you to that point of crying. And it's just this really cathartic experience for a lot of students. Yeah, I, I, it's the one, it's the best thing about theatre. That's, I mean, I sometimes, you know, I've got my mates who don't necessarily like theatre or don't go to the show and they go, yeah. isn't it boring just saying the same things every night? And you're like, well, it's no, because it's not. I'm, I'm, I might say the same words, but I don't always say them in the same way. And it, how the audience, that moment when everyone sits down in that room and, and we're agreed, you know, it's the same if you go and see a band or you go and see, but you, you go see theatre, you sit down and you, you've paid to, 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 to watch this show. And, and there's a shared experience between the cast and the audience on that day, in that moment, that is only of that time. You come tomorrow, it won't be the same. People will laugh in different points. It's, it's, it's that shared experience. And that, that's why theatre is just, it's so magical. Oh, it really is because... It, it has the ability to change you that, you know, you're all strangers, but you go into something and you come out changed and you've all been through this metamorphosis that, you know, you wouldn't have had the ability to if not for this, this work of art presented in front of you. You've yeah, been involved in a absolutely. lot of different shows, you know. So you've been on the West End in Mamma Mia. You were in Lord of the Rings, which is another show I've seen. So I must have seen you at Drury Lane when you did that. But you've been involved in Greece, Miss Saigon. Do you have any fun tour or backstage stories from your time on those shows? Um, probably. I'm trying to think. Not many that I could probably tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I'll tell you a weird story about Blood Brothers that's not necessarily about those shows. I mean, the, the, the great thing about um, 
all those so that there's certain people I've worked with that has been fun that you have to pinch yourself. I did Guys and Dolls with Patrick Swayze. Oh wow. And there are points when you turn around and you think, I'm talking to Patrick Swayze on stage. It's pretty cool. Awesome. You know, my mum was well chuffed. But um <laughs> so so I when I was in Mamma Mia, I'd um yeah, so this is not necessarily a funny story. This is a story about fate. So when I was in Mamma Mia, I was kind of, I've been in Mamma Mia a few years. The auditions that were coming round seemed to be the same auditions and there wasn't much changing. And I was thinking, do I want to, I was having a crisis. Do I want to do this as a career? So I, long story short, um, I've met a guy who'd offered me a, uh, a, some advice in his insurance company. He said, come, uh, I'll give you some advice. And then, you know, if, if you want to go down that route. I sat with him. He offered me a job at the end of the conversation. I went back again, uh, saw him twice, and he, yes, he offered me this job. So I offered this really good, quite well-paid job at an insurance company, and I was going to leave Mamma Mia, and I was going to join the insurance company, and I was going to, you know, say, gracefully say goodbye to acting. And I was unsure about this, and I come out of Waterloo Station, and you'll walk over Waterloo Bridge to get to the other side is where Mamma Mia is, the Novello Theatre. Yes. Standing, so I was just about to phone my girlfriend at the time and tell her, this is what's going on. I'm going to leave theatre. I'm going to join. And in the middle of the bridge, standing there, was my favourite actor. His name is Bill Nye. Yep. And Bill Nye was standing in the middle of the bridge. Wow. And I've met Bill Nye twice before, but I'm, I'm a big football fan. Crystal Palace is my team. He's a Crystal Palace football fan. I've yeah. spoken to him twice, very briefly, about Crystal Palace. <laughs> and he was standing there, and I just I said... Uh, Bill, he said, oh, uh, hello. He didn't remember me. And I, I said, oh, it's Robbie. Oh, you know, Crystal Palace. He was like, oh, and he very politely started talking to me. And we were sort of talking for about 20 minutes. And I said, sorry, can I just say something to you? And I said, look, this is what happened. And I explained that, you know, maybe I was getting a bit bored of what was going on. I wanted a bit of a change. And, and he said to me, he said, is there any way you can do both jobs? I said, no. He said, I, I'll tell you the truth. I've quit acting every single day of my life. I just don't tell anyone and we see how this day goes and, I was, and, and anyway he kind of gave me a little bit of a boost I walked past him just before I got to Novello my phone rang it was my it was my agent and he said I've had a phone call do you want to go back into Blood Brothers as the narrator wow that is fate isn't it you know had you not bumped and in I, yeah I mean I, the phone call might have happened but I might have already started the ball rolling on other things and I, yeah. it was just it was just the way that I, when I was going to take that turn, that man was there, my favourite actor, my all-time favourite actor, yeah. who supports my football team, who's from my town. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. and, and, then, and, then, and then Bill Kenwright phones up and asks you about Blood Brothers. So, yeah, so it's not a funny story, but... No, that's, I mean, that's amazing, though, isn't it, that it just happened to be the right person at the right time. And I mean, I'm sure there's loads of people that would say how much Bill Nye, you know, is their favourite actor. He's... he's phenomenal but just right place right time that's that's amazing <laughs> so when was it that you discovered this passion obviously you just talked about how you know the industry it can you know it's got its highs it's got its lows but when was it you first discovered that you had a passion that you, you started thinking this is what I can do with my life um it's quite late on so I was um I I've been an insurance broker when I was 18 and then I was an estate agent I've never really gone to the theatre much. I think I've gone with school. I hadn't seen Blood Brothers. Uh, but I was the first one on the dance floor in a nightclub. 
uh, I've never had dancing lessons or anything like that, but I used to love, I just love music. So I love dancing. Yeah. So I'd go on a dance floor, I'd be dancing all the time. And my girlfriend at the time was a dancer. And um, she'd suggested, she used to get the stage newspaper. And I hated being a stage and I didn't enjoy it at all. I didn't know what to do. And she just randomly suggested in the back of the stage, there was an audition for a cruise ship on a Friday in Brighton. I lived in Eastbourne. Yeah. And she said, why don't you go for it? And I don't know why, but I went, yeah. Do you know what? Yeah, I'm going to go for that. So I went to the audition on the, on the Friday. I flew out to the boat on Monday. So I went in. It was a dance audition. I think it was a situation that they needed someone. They needed someone immediately. And I just said yes. So they offered me the job in the room. So they taught me a dance routine. I didn't, they, they were like, you've got to do a pirouette. I didn't even know what a pirouette was. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I could kind of sing along to karaoke and stuff, yeah. but, I, I, you know, I wasn't really a big singer. So, and so I got a job as a dancer on a cruise ship. <laughs> so I went on the cruise ship and I thought, okay, I will see, what, see where this journey takes us. So when I was on the boat, they, you know, I had to do the production shows and the cast there were re- very lovely. And they sort of suggested, um, they said, well, you should go to drama school. So one day the boat was in Southampton. Two weeks before they came to me and they said, we found a drama school. It's a year course. We think you should probably apply for this. And uh, so they'd already booked me an audition, a time, a train. And they gave me the song I was going to sing and the speech I was going to do. And they said, you've got two weeks to do that. I got off the boat in Southampton. I went up to London, to the London School of Musical Theatre. I auditioned. They told me that I got in in the room. Wow. Which was lovely. I come back on the boat. I told them I finished the boat randomly on on the Saturday. I flew home from the cruise ship boat. Uh, I started drama school on the Monday, and I started front of house working at Drury Lane Theatre on the same day. And there you go. That was it. And from there on, I did seven months, and I went into Miss Saigon. So it was it was kind of whirlwind, yeah. and it all came from the fact that I just used to like dancing in a club, really. So this is it. You know, you you. I'm also from Eastbourne. I know how small a community Eastbourne can be. Like, it's a lovely place, but, you know, very easy to get caught up in a routine. My brother happens to be an estate agent in Eastbourne as well. You know, it, which estate agent? Which, which estate agent? He's uh, Fox and Sons. Oh, yeah. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> I was the one down the road. Yeah. <laughs> it's so easy. You know, you have a passion, or, you know, it's so easy to just get caught up and think, well, I'm from a small area. It's, not going to happen for me would that be advice you give to young people who do want to pursue that career in theatre just put yourself out there is it you know it's yeah well 100 percent. do you know what if so we'll take eastbourne for example eastbourne has two very prominent amateur dramatic societies eods yeah. and ratonians eastbourne operatic and dramatic society they both have uh they both have young versions of it there's also something called trapdoor um, there's a school called Ratton School. As you went, you said you went to Cavendish. Cavendish, they were all right. Yeah, see, <laughs> yeah. Well, Cavendish was the sports school, wasn't it? And it was, Ratton yeah. was the arts school. Yeah. So th- there's so much that comes out, and they do things not just for pupils from Ratton. Others. So there's loads around such a small little town that you can be part of, um, and and that's the best thing to do. You j- just you know Google amateur dramatic societies and go along, and. Um, I'd, I'd done, my girlfriend was part, when, when I lived in Eastbourne, my girlfriend was part of the amateur dramatic scene. Her mum did the wardrobe. So I was around that. And I know my friends in Eastbourne are from that world. Yeah. So 
and, and they've all got normal jobs and everything like that, but they still do their shows every year. And it's great. Friends for life. So even if it's not something you, you know, you want to do and you just want to be part of my mate, I mean, every time I go to my friend James's house, he'll play me another video of him playing Bill Snibson or here's me in nine to five or, you know, <laughs> you have to sit through the, the VHS tapes. But, um, you know, and it, he loves it and he gets to have that work balance as well as be doing the shows. And if you and if you want to get into it as a career, it does teach you that the start of learning a show being on stage, a bit of stage etiquette maybe. It, yeah. it, it, it gets you into that world and would you like to do it? And from there, you know, you'll, you will find your roots that will take you. But if you want to do it, if, if you even have a hint of doing it, I think the best thing you can do is just get involved. And if you do get involved, I mean, you, you'll never regret it. Yeah. You're going to have a good time, whether you turn up to be an actor or you turn up for it to be a hobby. You're going to love it and you're going to meet great people. Yeah, and you're going to have memories for life. So you've, yeah. you've obviously had a chance, you know, on tour with Blood Brothers that you had the opportunity to perform at the Congress Theatre in Eastbourne. Well, how did that feel for you? You know, <laughs> was that like a I've made it moment? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah, because, you know, what, what was weird is out of all the shows I'd done, this was until last Christmas. Yeah. Christmas before lockdown. Um, that's when Blood Brothers went to Eastbourne. And I've been an actor for 18 years and nothing had taken me to Eastbourne. I've been around Eastbourne. I've been to Hastings. I've never been to my hometown. Yeah. And so that was the first. And yeah, I mean, it was great. What was what I love more than anything else. Um, my mum, my mum and dad are quite old now and they, you know, they can't get out. So they got to go and they're part of a, an old age sort of pensioners group and all their group came to watch the show. So that was good for my mum and, you know, and and also, I really liked, I've got a lot of mates in Eastbourne who are, who are builders and, you know, estate agents and all this. And a lot of them had never been to the theatre before. Oh, wow. So I had a lot of mates that actually came to watch me do a show. They're not going to bother going up to London. It's just not their bag. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And they've got kids and whatever. But, yeah, they'd never been to see a show. And so I, I, had, a, I had a few close mates sat in a the theatre for the first time. And that, that, for me, was what was great. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and, and being in the local paper is always fun. <laughs> but it is isn't it you know there's that moment of people that you've been friends with your whole life and they finally get to see you know what you do for a living and you're like wow you're not just bragging you are as <laughs> you know look at you you're up there to make that professional debut that must have been something special yeah I mean, it, it, it was quite fun the one do you know what the one that really got me was um so I, when I started drama school I worked at Drury Lane as an yeah. usher so uh, I did that throughout the whole of college and uh, Lord of the Rings was at Drury Lane. It was. So, so I got to play Aragorn on Drury Lane in the theatre that I started out as an usher, where I, when I kind of started my actual journey into yeah. this. That, that was the place. So to actually, you know, I, I, as, as an usher, you have to watch half the show. It was the original, it was the My Fair Lady with Jonathan Price and Martine McCutcheon. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, used to, I used to sit there with my programmes in my hand watching it every night thinking, I hope one day I get to go on there. And, you know, the, I, I think it's important when, when you do anything in life, sometimes you just stop and you have a little look at yourself. And if you've done something good, you, you, you know, give yourself a little pat on the back. Not for too long. Yeah. But that, that was one of those moments when I did have a look in the mirror and think, oh, well done, mate. But it is so difficult, especially in an industry like theatre. You live in the moment and you're only as, you know, sometimes it could be only as good as your last performance. But sometimes you, you've got to take that check and be like, 
well done. That's something you could be proud of. And yeah, to, to work as an usher and then actually be on that stage, that is an incredible thing. And it, it, one of the most famous theatres, not necessarily just in England, but in the world, like Drury Lane is up there. People, people know that theatre. Gorgeous. It's, it's just been done up as well. I've, so I've, they've, they, they've, have you been? We've been twice to see Frozen since it reopened, and it's so oh, it's beautiful in there, isn't it? Stunning! <laughs> what a theatre! I think we, it's um, one of the theatres I've been to the most. You know, Lord of the Rings, I've seen there. Matilda, I've seen there. Frozen multiple times. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's just one of the most amazing theatres I've ever been to. It's uh, when we were doing Lord of the Rings, we had a uh, we did a, a tech because it was a very technical show. We had twelve weeks of tech rehearsal. Wow. For anyone, if anyone who doesn't know, the average tech rehearsal was about two weeks, if you're lucky. We had 12 weeks of tech. We had five months of actual rehearsal yeah. in, um, in, in a TV studio outside, just outside London. So, I mean, everyone forgot they were an actor. You just, you'd go to work with them and play circus tricks and on stilts and stuff. It was, it was really, really, really great. It was crazy. But so when we were doing tech rehearsal, there's a few bits that we weren't in. Everyone used to go hunting around the theatre because there's loads of stories. So... As a gift to the Queen Victoria, no, not Queen Victoria, um, Queen Elizabeth. Uh, so there's a first of all, there's a passage that goes from underneath the stage to the Thames yeah. as a getaway, as a getaway for the King. Uh, there's a passage that, that goes from upstairs in the theatre down beneath, across the road, to, and used to come out at the pub, the wow. Nell of Old Drury. And the Nell was apparently uh, the King's mistress. And he used to sneak out and go and see his mistress across the road in the pub. That's why the pub's there. Um, there's a bomb there that, that went through the building during the World War II. That sits somewhere that apparently everyone says is still alive, which it isn't. Um, Hitler's chair is there. Oh, wow. As a gift, as a gift to Queen Elizabeth was Hitler's, Hitler's chair. And it's in, it's in the royal waiting room to the left. There's a, they found a skeleton in the wall in the top someone used to live in the top thing and they knocked a wall through and there was a skeleton with a with a knife in it so many stories brilliant place and so w w whenever we weren't used we used to go hunting around the theater and make these little videos trying to find ghosts and stuff hey, How they bored actors phantom of the opera there that, that that's the perfect place for a phantom yeah <laughs> yeah could you imagine the chandelier coming down through there that would be crazy well, this, this is, I love Lord of the Rings, the musical, you know, there's a lot to it. I remember, I mean, obviously it was what, 2008, 2007, you've got this great bit with the safety curtain, like the vines, and you had Gollum crawling down it, opening, you had the Urukai, yeah. this brilliant ending where, you know, the, the, the stage, you've got it inclining to create Mount Doom and everyone going up. Beautiful show, and it's one that I wish would come back. I know it wasn't well received, but I loved it, you know, Tolkien nerd, and, you know, it was... I went with my best friend to see, I bought him tickets for his, his birthday because he'd never been to the theatre, but he loved Lord of the Rings. And we both left thinking, that show was great. Not aware that, you know, we were, we were thinking, we'll come back, we'll make it a yearly thing. Unfortunately, you know, we couldn't, but... Drew no, well, I mean, there's some, there's a lot of, I mean, it cost, I think it cost 28 million to put it on. Yep. <laughs> and that's a lot of money. And it, it was kind of, as soon as they announced how much it cost, it was kind of doomed to fail because people, you know, people don't like that sort of information. But it, it actually, it should have stayed in the theatre. And I, I don't think I'm allowed to tell the story because I think it's libelous. Yeah. But um, 
let's just say that the producer got a huge payout for what was he was and they, the show was ousted out of the theater yeah basically when it shouldn't have been mm. and uh and a certain certain couple of producers had a fallout over it and uh yeah anyway there was out of court settlement that's all i'll say <laughs> it, sh- it should have it should have carried it should have carried on running yeah and yeah it's i, I mean it, it nearly did a world tour and then um they were going to redo it again but with a lot of puppetry Oh wow! You know the you, you know the pu- puppets that are going around the world. There's a girl that's walking around the world, really tall girl. I can't remember what it's called. But that, those people that made those puppets, they were going to do that with Lord of the Rings. Oh wow! And they were going to take the show around that way. I think that might still be a possibility, but it will start in New Zealand. Wow, that's and it will start over there and then go around. Yeah, yeah. But no, that 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 was that was a <laughs> that was a crazy show to be part of. It yeah. it it really was a crazy show. There was a cast of sort of sixty eight. And and just just to hear everyone sing at certain points, and you had to have quite a strong sense of humour when we were doing the tech because you would be standing in a position for sort of like you know six hours while they lit it <laughs> because there was every every individual had an individual light in one particular bit, and I, it was it, it was a cra- crazy crazy show to be part of. Loved it. What a show to be part of. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, speaking about roles you've been in, but do you have a dream role or a dream production that you just love to perform in that you haven't already? Is there anything you would jump at the opportunity? My, my, my dream stuff is always something that I would originate. Yeah. Something that's mine. Something that I would, a new show written about something that I'm the person that originates that role. I've, I've been lucky enough to be part of original processes of a few shows. Yeah. And that's just so rewarding. And I love that. Apart from that, I'd, I'd quite like to play Sweeney Todd. <laughs> Sweeney Todd's great. Like, yeah, it's one of those. I'd, I'd, I'd like, yeah, I'd like Sweeney Todd, and I don't really have this type of singing voice, so I probably will never come around. But uh, the Phantom, I'd like to play the Phantom. There's some, and and the and the only other one is Tenardio. Yeah, I I see. I love Les Mis and. It's one of those great shows that you can age in and out of, you know, if you start as a young actor, you can, you can age into both, you know, male and female roles. So there's so many that have been, you know, young Cosette who then become, or young Eponine, and then they become Eponine, and they ca- then they become Tenadier. And, and it's just one of those great shows. But Lame is, it just captures the, you know, like, like with Blood Brothers, this really, really beautiful story, but with these great, yeah. burst out in laughter, like Master of the House. My brother is not a musical theatre fan, but he loves Les Mis. He loves Master of the House, like it's going out of fashion. Stunning music, isn't it? It's absolutely stunning. I mean, I, I, I've had one or I've had two auditions for it. Yeah. First audition was my first ever audition. Wow. And I auditioned for uh, Marius, and I went in and I sang my song, and I didn't get a recall. And I thought I did quite a good job, but uh, I, di- I didn't even get a recall. So yeah. I was like, oh, okay. And what I found out later is they wrote on my CV, Saigon. So Miss Saigon came up four months later and I got Saigon. Um, so, you know, I, I don't have a classically sounding voice. I have more of a rocky voice, star voice. Um, the only other time was Tenardier. And it was, and, and I'd had two auditions for Tenardier 
and then we went into lockdown and all the audio and, and the shows it all cancelled so i don't know how far along the process i was yeah probably one of about 100 but i was kind of in the running for tenardio once until lockdown came so you know hopefully when jared leaves maybe i'll get a ch another chance here okay. do you have a favorite song so final question you know usually on the show we talk about you know once we've watched a musical we talk about our favorite songs from the musical and blood brothers there's some fantastic songs and you know you being in it do you have a song that every you know is there one song that you you have a favorite that you get to sing or, or even just watch you know when when you have mrs lyons or mrs johnstone set forward is there any song for blood brothers that just for you stands above the others to sing i like miss jones yeah uh, with the big acapella bit in the middle it's yeah. a really really good I, I i i think the story it's telling at the time is fantastic as yeah. well um so once in bristol when we did the show we were doing it to a lot of school kids actually it was sold out 1600 people and the sound desk broke <laughs> and so which meant we had no amplification yeah. from the pit at all no microphones, no anything. And they didn't know what to do. And so they we decided to do the show for the audience, but without any microphones. So we were just speaking normally. Yeah. And and with only acoustic instruments. So we had brushes and we had a piano and we had an acoustic guitar. And I, st I stepped forward and I said to the audience, I said, okay, can you hear me? It's all school kids as well, which yeah. made this more magical. I said for it and I said, look, this is, no one's going to speak louder than this. This is the tone of the show. We're going to ask you to, you know, lean forward and really listen to the show for us. And they did. These kids oh, were silent for the whole thing. But what it brought up was, it was Lynn Paul. And when Lynn sang Easy Terms, just to an acoustic guitar, that was stunning. That one performance of Lynn just barely standing there with the pram and just this acoustic guitar, which was, Ben, who plays guitar in the band, an amazing guitarist, yeah. randomly worked on the cruise ship that I worked on. Oh, wow. I, when I turned up last time and come back, this head popped up from the pit. It went, Robbie. I was like, right, mate. <laughs> oh, I someone saw you as in Madeira in the year 2000. But yeah, so he's an amazing guitarist. He's a very good picker as well. And yeah, him, I wish we'd recorded that. Yeah. But Lynn Paul singing Easy Terms on an acoustic guitar. That's, that's something we should all hear. Wow, that, that sounds such a magical way to, to sum, this, you know, sum this up because it's a show that you can do so much with, but the talent in it is amazing. I'm so, so excited. I'm gonna be coming to Woking Theatre next week to be able to see you. You know, Drew hasn't seen Blood Brothers before and I can't wait to share it with her and she can see just how amazing this show is. So- I can't, I can't wait for her to see it. Yeah, I'm sure she's going to come out as buzzed as I've been. I said to her, I've got getting the opportunity. She's like, that's so cool. So, you know, thank you so much for your time. You're obviously going on on stage tonight. So thank you so much for giving up your time to talk to me about Blood Brothers and your career. No worries. It's lovely to talk to you too. Thank you. And thank you to all of you listening to this episode of It's a Musical Interview. And thank you once more to Robbie Scotcher for giving up his time to come and talk with us about his career and Blood Brothers. As always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at It's a Musical Pod, and you can head on over to TikTok at It's a Musical Pod and follow our adventures as we go to the theatre and beyond. 
If you like what we do, you can subscribe to us on a multitude of good podcasting platforms. You can find us over on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Stitcher, on the Amazon Music app under the podcast section of the library, on Good Pods, and on our OG hosts, Podbean. And if you are a fan of It's a Musical Podcast, why not go to Apple Podcasts, to podchaser.com, or Good Pods, and leave us a five-star review. We will be back on Monday for our episode covering Blood Brothers. But until then, have a wonderful weekend. See you same bat place, same bat channel.